We're in the middle of this series entitled The Essential Jesus, where we're taking a hundred different readings over the course of a couple of months. And we're going to continue that. This is week nine. We're going to be doing the readings from 41 through 45. I trust that you've been able to do that. A lot of you have picked up the books out there, but if for some reason you haven't, you have been asleep the last eight weeks and you weren't sure that there was a book available, that it is out there. We also want you to know that uh, there is a, just a nominal fee that goes with that, but if you can't afford it, we want you to pick that up. And if you haven't been keeping up on the readings, we want you to just pick right up right where it's at, and uh, we want to continue with that. So it's been a great series. I don't know about you, but I'm enjoying those readings every week. And uh, Monday through Friday, I've been taking a look at that, looking back with some of the notes and, and keeping us going. But uh, I want to continue with that this morning, and we're going to talk a little bit this morning about the sermons of Jesus. I uh, had the opportunity a little over a week ago that my wife and I uh, had the privilege of seeing our son, which when your kids are grown and gone and all over the United States, you don't get to see him very often. So when you do, you treasure that. We had the chance to take him back to the Pittsburgh airport. I know that it's 134 miles from right here. And I know that because I use a navigational tool called Waze. And some of you may be familiar with that. Some of you have picked that up. It's a free uh, tool. It tells us not only how far it is, but uh, gives some information along the way. And we left that morning. He had an early morning flight out of Pittsburgh in order to get back to Los Angeles. We left 11 minutes late. That was my cushion that morning. I figured that you just never know what kind of traffic you're going to hit in Pittsburgh. And so I set ways and off we went. And uh, we took off and naturally it was rather clear. Along the route, that particular app speaks to you. And so here I am driving along, and all of a sudden I hear this, watch out, police reported ahead. And what do you think I did? I did absolutely nothing. I knew some of you thought I'd be speeding. Because you see, I set my cruise at a particular level, and I stayed there. Even though I was running late, I stayed right there. Now, those of you that are not familiar with Waze, it happens to be a community-based traffic and navigational app. It's available for the iPhone and the Android, and I'm not selling it this morning, but I just want to tell you about it. It uses real-time traffic and road information that helps us to save time and gas money on our daily commute. On my journey from here to my destination along the way, I'm going to tell you, it gives me all kinds of information and at times alerts and warnings. Things like warning, hazard ahead, maybe there's some debris on the road, tells me about accidents that are up ahead, vehicle on road. It told me as I got closer to Cranberry, warning, heavy traffic reported ahead. And of course, it also tells you about police. Now how does it know that? In fact, I've had some people riding with me and they'll look at it and say, how did it know the police was up ahead? I said, the reason is, is because it is a user-friendly app that is very applicational to today, that when somebody sees something, they can very quickly reach over and hit it. And I know some of you are saying right now, you're not supposed to use your phone when you're driving, but you can use those, you know, GPS devices, and it's the same thing. You just happen to put it off to the side. In fact, when you try to pull it up and you, you try to program something, it says, are you the passenger or the driver? And if you're dumb enough to hit, I'm the driver, it won't let you do a thing. Yeah, you know what I'm saying there. But nevertheless, I want you to know the reason it knew, that, it, that it told me that those things were up there is that other observers were using Waze as well, and they had reported what they had seen up ahead. Now, I have a couple of options whenever I see that, when it pops up. I can hit the thumbs up, which basically is saying, thank you, I, I alerted that. And I'm also reaffirming the fact that they're there, or the, the debris or the problem or whatever the warning is. 
But I can also hit another button that just says not here, which tells those maybe behind me that there was something, but now it's gone. And so it's a, it's a nice communication tool. We got to our place, and when I got down there, the nice little devices, if I didn't know, I pulled up to the airport, and it just so happened that part of my miscalculation was when I put in Pittsburgh Airport, it told me that it was going to take 11 minutes more when I said, I am at the gate. So some reason it must be taking me to the plane. And so I had 11 minutes to spare, so I didn't have to speed, you see. I, I, I got there right on the money, and it worked out. But what it told me when I got there, before I shut it off, it said, you have reached your destination. And then I shut it off. Five hours after I got home from coming back from Pittsburgh, I noticed that I had gotten an alert, and I didn't set my phone, so it, it, it went off, but I just noticed it was there, and I clicked on it, and it said, so-and-so, who I don't know, another Wazer, thanked me for something that I put in. Now, if you've ever traveled from here to Pittsburgh, you know that there are a couple of very key spots where state troopers love to hide, and they're hidden. And so when you hit on this ways, you can say, police reported ahead, and it's, is it visible or are they hidden? Now, it's not meant to replace radar detectors. It's not meant to circumvent that. In fact, I talked to a state trooper one time that said to me that their job is not to nail people for going one, two, three, four, or five miles over the speed limit. Their job as they're out there is to be proactive and to make sure that we have safe driving conditions. There's also a law in the books. You may not know it. It's called a basic speed law. Did you know that if the traffic is going at 75 miles an hour, but it's posted 55, and if you're driving 55, you'll get a ticket? You look it up. It's there. As well as the basic speed law says that even though it's posted, and we live in Erie, and if we get some ice out there, and it's not safe road conditions, and even though it's posted 55, if the safe driving condition is 35 and you're going over that, you can get a ticket for that. So let me tell you, honestly, the reason I say all that and give you that illustration is that... This whole thing was basically telling us that I better watch out was meant for my benefit. It was a warning. It was a notice to be prepared for what may be ahead. The frustrating part is, is that when I get those notices, and especially if I follow somebody who thinks they're being funny and keeps putting in police reported ahead, and they're not there, and I feel like all I'm doing is coming behind them, keep hitting that, not here, not here, not here. It gets a little frustrating. So, you know, when somebody tells you something in advance and it's not right, after a while you don't believe them. However, when they do tell you something and it comes to pass, you have a tendency to believe them. Now, this information, this idea is not new. It's been around for about 2,000 years. It's just we're doing it electronically now. Jesus himself actually gave us a warning. He gave a warning not just to his disciples but to all followers. And he said, warning, there's a situation up ahead and I want you to be prepared for it. He gave us several prophecies in one of his sermons. And we're going to look at that this morning in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, and it's in your notes. And I want you to note something very interesting here, is that if you'll notice that we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and sometimes information that took place and something that Jesus said, a parable, another story, may be in three of those, but not all four, or it may be in all four. And, and, and if you've ever wondered, it's the reason is because Matthew is writing to the Jew. John wrote to the church, and then the others happened to write to the Greeks and to those. That, and so the perspective comes that way, and so it's important to really understand that. But look at it with me here in Matthew's gospel, the first three verses. Jesus left the temple and was walking away with his disciples, and they came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? 
Truly, I tell you, not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples then came to him privately. And they said, tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, in this particular story, and if you know, we've had two temples that are in Jerusalem that have been built on the Temple Mount. The last one was destroyed in 70 AD, and ever since then, uh, it was taken over by others, and we have this Dome of the Rock that has a beautiful gold thing that's over it. But prior to that, what they were referring to in about the time of Jesus' time, in about 32, 33 AD, is they were taking a look. They had just walked out of there. They just had a bit of a confrontation with some of the Jewish leaders. And so as they're walking away, the disciples are basically looking at Jesus and saying, wow, isn't that magnificent? That building was the most gorgeous building in all the world. In fact, if it was still standing today, it would probably be one of the seven wonders of the world, and it would have passed one off. Because the building itself was 500 yards long, and it was 400 yards wide, and it was made with so much gold in it that it just absolutely sparkled. And what wasn't gold was done in white marble, so much so that travelers from a long distance away would think that it was snow-capped. Now, here's what happened. Jesus is standing there, and he takes a look, and he says, you see all these things? Not just the temple, but all these things. He says, he's prophesying to them, not one of those stones will be left on top of another. So don't put your stock in that. Well, it would be like us saying today, and I don't know if you've ever been to Washington, D.C. and seen the Washington National Cathedral, that that building has been built with no mortar, with no rebar going through it. It's been stone set upon one another. It took them over 100 years to build. It's a magnificent building. But it'd be like us saying, somebody saying today, that particular building is going to be leveled. Oh, and by the way, so will the White House and so will the Capitol. That was what was taking place in that time. And they were looking at him like, Are you, have you lost your marbles? But the context of this, you've got to understand, is that what happened is most of those disciples, they didn't get to see that building be leveled because this was in 33 AD, and it was about 40 years later in 70 AD when the Jewish revolt was taking place, and the Romans came along, and they basically annihilated because of disobedience of the Jews. And most people fled to that huge structure, and what they did is they set it on fire. Now, marble doesn't burn very well. Neither does gold, but it'll melt. And so all that beautiful gold that was there, when they set that thing on fire, it heated up so much that all that gold melted and went right down into the, into the soil. The Romans didn't want it to be there, so you know what they did after they burned it? They threw all the stones off of one another, digging that gold out. And we've been to Israel, and I can tell you, on the southern wall, just around the corner toward the western wall right there, many of those stones have been thrown about 70 feet over the edge, and they're still laying there today, the exact stones that Jesus said would happen. Now, the reason for this is you got to understand, we think that Jesus is talking to his disciples right then and there. He's talking to all his disciples. He's talking to all his followers. So what he was really telling all of us in this prophecy at the beginning was, it's who we worship, not what we worship. Because you see, the disciples, they were sitting there thinking, well, When is this going to happen? When are you going to take over? The religious people around there, the Jews, they didn't like you. They were wanting to throw you out. The religious leaders didn't like your teaching. Jesus knew what was about to happen. And because he knew what was about to happen, he gave them hope and a future. And he said, I've got plans, and I know what's going to take place. What were they asking? They wanted to know the when and the what of this rebellion. 
Now, it doesn't say it in these first three verses. You have to go to a chapter before that where he talks about when he's being questioned by the Pharisees, when he says, you're not going to hear from me again until I come back again and basically take over. And the disciples heard this. And so that was part of their when. When is this going to take place? Jesus, I think, gives a second warning or gives the first watch out that comes out. If he were to have a ways there today, he would actually say, watch out, idols reported ahead. Why is it? Because we have a tendency in our humanness to want to attach ourselves to something that's highly successful. We want to attend a church that's beautiful. We want to attend a place that has status. We want to go into that. We won't say anything. And when somebody says, where do you go to church? The right answer should really be everywhere. Not, I go to church up at such and such or to this building. And what Jesus was trying to tell them and tell us today was make sure that you keep him the essential focus of everything you do. Don't let it get in the way. That definition of idol, in case you're wondering, listen to this. It's a representation or a symbol of an object of worship. So do you wonder if you have any idols that are up ahead? Think of it this way. When ritual becomes more important than relationship, it's an idol. When it becomes more important to do the rituals rather than a relationship, There's one thing I've noticed about ministry. We serve as pastors. We take turns being what we call POD, pastor of the day, so that if you have a crisis or an emergency and you want us to pray for you, we're not doctors. We we can't fix you. Uh, We're not police. We can't handle that, but we certainly can pray. But when we have those crises, there are many times when it's our turn to be on call. We have to schedule our day a little looser than others. And how many times have we gotten that phone call? Nobody calls and says, hey, by the way, I just want you to know that next Thursday at 2 o'clock, I'm going to have a crisis and I'm going to call in. It doesn't happen that way. So sometimes things get in the way. So we, we, we tend to go through our normal rituals. And Jesus was saying to his disciples and to us, I want you to understand, things are going to change, and it's not about ritual. It's about relationship. Now he goes on, and, he want, and they want to know, well, when is, you, when is your coming going to happen? When are you going to come back? And what are we going to know? What are the signs of that? Jesus purposefully becomes incredibly vague here. And I think the reason he was vague, he, he left it known to, to his disciples then, which it gets passed on to us, and here we are almost 2,000 years later, and we still keep hearing that idea, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, that it's supposed to be parallel with the fact that his ascension took place, and he is going to come back again, yes, and he is going, and we, we know from Scripture, from a lot of prophecy that's there, that his second coming, he will set foot with his feet on the Mount of Olives, he will split it in two, and he will basically put Satan in his place and bound him up for a thousand-year period, all right? And I'm going to tell you, I've heard about that my whole life. Some of you may hear that for the first time, but some of you have heard that your whole life, and you're older than I am, all right? Not by much, but a little bit. So frankly, they're wanting to know, when is this going to happen? Because these religious kooks keep telling us about all these rituals we have to do, and we're tired of it, and we want to be able to make this connection. And so that's what he's saying. Be careful. There's idols reported ahead. Did you know that in the New Testament alone, the words return of Christ or the inference of that is mentioned some 300 times, whereas new birth or being born again is mentioned seven, repentance is mentioned 20, and baptisms is mentioned 70. So you think maybe we ought to pay attention to the return of Christ? I do. So what sign is it we're talking about? Oh, you love this. You'd love to be able to hear because 
Yeah, sometimes we don't hear enough of that. Oh, man, I want to know. I want somebody to really preach some, 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 some fire and brimstone in regard to Jesus is coming back, and boy, is he ticked. No, it's not about that. Jesus said he gave us some warning signs, and let's continue in verse 4. It's on your notes. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You will hear of wars, rumors of wars, but see that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come, he says. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famine, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pangs. Now, I'm telling you what, I could camp out here for a while. But for the sake of what I'm trying to do, I really want you to understand this is all about the essential Jesus, and we're keeping it focused there. So if you want to know more, you can do some research. But I want to highlight a couple of things. I've already alluded to the fact that I can remember when I was a teenager. I got saved when I was 14. I got saved in a very conservative denomination that pretty much was so conservative that if we went to a PG-rated movie, we were told that if Jesus came back, we'd be left. And there were times that as a teenager, I really honestly thought, oh, do I want to see that movie or not? Do I want to see that? And I remember coming out thinking, I got to check with somebody to make sure that they would have gone. I mean, that is not the way he meant for us to live. And what happens is if you live your entire life, and there have been generations that have been hearing this for 2,000 years, and, and now we're at a place and time with what we're going, that it's almost like we've become desensitized to this idea of Jesus is coming. Oh, yeah, sure, I've heard that before. Been there, done that. And so it didn't happen before, so it's not going to happen. But I'm going to tell you what, Jesus prophesied that they were going to level the temple, which nobody thought would ever happen. And if that worked, and the one thing about a prophet he remains a prophet if he's right 100% of the time. If he's wrong just once, he's no longer a prophet. That's just the way it works. So understand he's predicting that. Remember that? Some of you might remember this. 88 reasons for Jesus to come back in 1988. And it didn't happen. And what happened to people? They were disillusioned. What about 2000? The Y2K. We thought for sure Jesus was going to come back before that happened. And here we are, 2014. And we're wondering. But you know what? It could still be today, just like that. And we're supposed to be ready. So here's his second watch out. He's saying, watch out, deception reported ahead. Why deception? Because he says there are going to be many false Christs that are come. Not just outside the church, how about inside the church? And I'll tell you why. I don't think they mean to. I really honestly don't think so. But we've become almost, as I said earlier, desensitized. Have you noticed, even if, if you don't attend movies, by the way, anymore, doesn't, doesn't, you know, Jesus isn't going to catch you if you're in the theater, so don't worry about that, all right? But I want you to understand something. Have you noticed how many movies are about the afterlife, about you know, the, the, all those kind of things that the Bible talks about? We even have people making Christian movies, and, I, and I'm hearing the latest buzz over Exodus and Noah, and most people are saying, don't waste your time. And yet... Somehow message is getting out, and it's getting in such a way to where how do we know if it's right or if it's wrong? It's real simple. You keep the main thing the main thing. Stay in the Word. Keep Jesus in the center, and don't be looking for the sign. Because, frankly, Jesus said all those signs, all they are is the beginning. They're not the real thing. So I just want you to know that he said there was going to be this deception, so pay attention that you're not deceived. How do you know that what we preach up here is really the Word of God? I'm hoping you're reading it throughout the week and that you're taking a look at yourself. I'll tell you one of the greatest tools that's out there for lay people now. It's called Blue Letter Bible. 
It's a free app. You can actually go on it. My daughter turned me on to it when she was in Bible college. And uh, I've used that for so many things to be able, I wish, I wish I would have paid attention to my professors early on when I was in Bible school back in the 70s. And, um, <laughs> and I would have taken Greek and Hebrew and understood it. But some of us didn't want to get up at 7 a.m. in the morning, five days a week to go to school. So nevertheless, now I have to rely on the tools that we have out there. Jesus also said there would be wars and rumors of wars. You know, there have been peace treaties ever since the beginning of time. There's been wars ever since all the way back to Cain and Abel. They've had that. And, and did you know that there were over 8,000 documented treaties all the way up until the year 1860? What difference does that make? Well, most of them lasted about two years. And a peace treaty between one another saying, hey, we're going to hold peace. But in the, in the last century, from the year to, 1900 to 2000, 92% of all peace treaties were broken. That's where we're at today, folks. There's an organization. I found this out. I did some research on it. I'm not going to give you all the statistics, but, it's, but there's an organization called the Club of Rome. You want to look it up? You can. It's an independent group of about 100 people worldwide, and they're monitoring what's happening within the world today to really see where things are at and what we're doing. Here's some interesting statistic that comes out of that. They said that right now today there are 32 million active servicemen in the world, and we have 570 million that are on reserve. And do you know that now in all of our warfare we have developed, we know that nuclear has been around for a while, and we know that in the mid-70s to early 80s they invented this thing called the Trident Missile. We have a submarine now that's a nuclear sub, and it costs about $32 million billion to build, about $50 million a year to operate. It has 24 missiles on board. Those 24 missiles contain 15 uh, nuclear warheads each that can land anywhere on the planet from a submarine. And the United States has 18 of them. Most of them are based out of Bangor, Maine. And they go out. You can Google it. You can look it up as well, or whatever you want to call it, Bing or one of those others. I say all that to say to you that here's the interesting thing about that. That Trident submarine, they say today, has 40 times the destructive power of all the weapons of all the countries that were involved in World War II by 40 times in one submarine. Now... According to the Club of Rome, they tell us that the United States has what we call a four-earth arsenal, which means that we can absolutely destroy the earth four times. Now, why four? The first one didn't work? I don't know. But they tell us that Russia has a five-earth arsenal. They just have to flex just a little bit more. But you know what? Nobody's doing anything until God says it's time. But here's the point I want to make. Used to be what was hand-to-hand combat in that face-to-face with one another has become a little farther and a little farther, and now it's become global. Now we've accelerated in such a way that it has become, it has, it has taken off. Jesus said there are going to be wars and rumors of wars. We're going to have it. That is not the sign. That is not the sign. Then he says famine. Let me cover these couple of these real quick so you can see. They tell us today, and Jay could probably attest to that because he's been in many of these other countries, Those of us that live in Erie, Pennsylvania, we don't get to see a whole lot of poverty. There's some, but they tell us today that one in three people on the face of the earth live in malnutrition. One in three. So if you look around and you realize, statistics are telling us that the trash that we throw out today would feed a family for six days in some third world countries. I don't know about you, but that scares me. That that, that, that just gets me to think about that. We don't understand what that means. It took until 1850 for us to reach 1 billion people on this planet. And then, surprising enough, 80 years later, we doubled it to 2 billion. But it took us 164 years to reach 7 billion people. And I looked on the clock this morning, 
And as of today, we have on this planet 7,280,592 and 30 people. There are 220 million babies born every year. And they tell us that 30% of those die of malnutrition before the first birthday. Famine. Do you think it's increased since Jesus was here? You bet it has. He said natural disasters. He mentions the word pestilence. That doesn't mean insects, although I still want to ask God why in the world he created gnats and mosquitoes and some of those things. I mean, what is the point, right? But he's talking about deadly infectious diseases. We've heard about some of these in our recent years. We've heard about AIDS and cholera and influenza. They heard about polio a number of years ago, and I remember as a kid always getting that thing that hurt and left a mark right there. You can always tell some of us 1970 babies because we have that little mark. They do it differently nowadays. Malaria, tuberculosis, cancer, and the most recent that we've heard about, Ebola. Haven't heard much recently, but you sure heard an awful lot of scare. The CDC now tells us that there are 216 infectious diseases in the world today. It's greatly increased, folks, and it's increasing even more. Jesus also said there's going to be earthquakes during this time. Graduate student doing a PhD dissertation, I got a hold of that and I took a look and they went all the way back to the 1400s. In the 1400s, major earthquakes of 6.0 or higher, there were only 147 in the world. I won't keep going down through this, but I'll just jump to in the 1900s, there were 2,119 major earthquakes of 6.0 or more. Since the year 2000 to today, there are over 5,000 major earthquakes of 6.0 or greater in the world. Now, none of these are signs of the end. You know what Jesus said they were? Birth pains. They are the beginning. They are the thing that should tell us, that should take notes, that every time we hear that, that those things are the beginning of birth pains. Now, I've not had a single child. I've helped bring five into the world, and I've been there, and I can tell you, that ladies, when you get to transition and it starts hurting and somebody says, are those the fake ones, the Braxton Hicks? And I've seen many a ladies look at you and say, are you kidding me? These are the real things. But until a number of signs come closer together, they're two minutes apart, your water's broke, you, they check you and they find out you're effaced, okay? And they, at the same time, they're saying that you're you know, close to 10 centimeters that you're about to give. And I've watched it even when some people are that close and right there. That it may take hours, but it may take minutes. Some of them pop them right out. Others, it takes a little bit more. But you know what? I don't hear too many people. I don't hear too many people constantly talking about, oh, my word, can you believe the pain? You know what they're concentrated on? The baby. When that baby comes along, that becomes the focus. Do you know what you and I should be concentrating on? Not the signs, folks. The baby. The baby. It means it's getting closer. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, the one thing that I really pay attention to, because Scripture is very clear, you want to know how much closer we're getting? There are two places you need to keep your eyes. One of them is on Israel, because Israel is still God's chosen people, a part of his elect. And there's a plan that he has. The reason for the millennial reign of Christ is it's the seventh and final time that Jesus himself comes down and says, okay, guys, do you believe me now? I'm the Messiah. And so it's their turn to finally make that decision. It's not for us as the church. It's for them. But he says it's the beginning of labor pains. Keep your eye on Israel and keep your eye on the peace treaties that are out in the world today. Because we know from there that it's going to get worse. Now, 
What does John's gospel say about this exact same passage of Scripture? It's not a parallel, but John's writing to the church. Matthew's writing to the Jews, and he's explaining things in a very methodical way. Why do you think he wrote to the Jews that way? He starts off his whole letter with a genealogy. Who likes to read the baguette, the baguette, the baguette? Nobody does, except the Jews want to know, tell me what it says specifically. John's writing to the church, and what does John say? In John's gospel, chapter 14, I didn't put it in my notes, but I just want to alert it to you. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to go away, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you with me. So what he's saying to us is, when you see all these things, don't be getting too excited. Make sure your focus is on Jesus. That's what it's about. Now, let me tell you an interesting thing that goes with this. Did you know that there's something far more deadly that you can die from than wars, famines, pestilence, earthquakes, and such? Far greater than that, it's called sin because it'll separate you permanently from our Savior. You know, they can only kill you once, and then you're in the presence of Jesus. But frankly, if you don't know Jesus and you've allowed sin to separate you. That was the reason. That was where it was a little bit twisted. When I, when I was growing up as a teenager, they would tell us that we were sinning by being in that movie theater, that that's what Jesus did, wouldn't be approved of. And I'm thinking, they didn't have movie theaters when Jesus was around. How would we know? You know, he never went to some kind of a play or saw somebody do something. He told parables for crying out loud. He would have loved our movies today. Maybe not the ending, so I just want you to understand that we've got to make sure that it really still boils down to it's all about the essential Jesus. Let's pick it up in verse 9. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness of all nations. And then the end will come. I love that. I love that. We focus on the wrong verse, and that's what happens. So it, it, it takes guys like us that are, that are just crazy enough that love to research this stuff for hours to come back out to try to tell you what it really means to us today. And I'm going to boil it down to this. Third danger, third thing that comes out, third watch out. Danger reported ahead is what Jesus would say to us to keep our eyes on. He talks about lawlessness will abound. Lawlessness basically means without regard to the law. It's uncontrolled by the law, and it's unrestrained. Have we seen... a evidence of lawlessness recently? We certainly have. There's been three cases that I want to just highlight very quickly. The Ray Rice incident, for one. Is it really okay for an athlete who is held up in high regard to people to go off and slap a woman, not only to slap her, to slug her and knock her out, and then to be reinstated? Lawlessness, folks. How about the Michael Brown incident? We don't really know. A kid is in the wrong place at the wrong time, and because there's a difference in his race than the police officer, it's created an awful lot of uproar and rioting. And the most recent that we see that's happened with Eric Garner, an older man who's doing something that probably some of his actions were questionable. Did it really take six cops to pull him down? Did it really take one to hold a chokehold on him and to actually keep him so he couldn't breathe, to where he died of a heart attack? Lawlessness. We're still seeing the effects of that. This, com this country is still not over the effect of, of, of racism and on both sides of it. And, and yet, it's, it's all a part of it. Jesus warned us in advance. He said, you're going to see lawlessness. And you know what happens? Scripture's so clear in Thessalonians, it talks about even in the last days, many of the elect are going to fall away. And do you know why that is? Because you're not spending time in the Word, and you're not making Jesus the essential part of everything that we do. And so we look at the world around us, and we say, we hear people say it all the time, does Jesus really care when he sees all that stuff and lets it go? 
Yes, Jesus cares. He cares deeply, but he's given us a choice called free will. And when lawlessness starts getting out there, the love of many will grow cold, is what it says. Jesus said, watch out. There's danger ahead. Don't let your heart get cold. And I don't know about you, but I get a little frustrated when I see any kind of injustice of sorts, whether it be to, to, to kids or whether it be to adults or whether it be something that's just, it's just flat not right. Now, I don't know. I'm not a pessimist, not even by nature. And the only reason I get to be an optimist today is because of Jesus. Because I've noticed when I struggle with something, I go to the Word. When I have a question about something, I go to the Word. And I'll keep reading until I feel like I get an answer. And sometimes it takes a while. And sometimes I walk away and I still feel like I didn't get the answer. I don't understand it. But I'm just telling you more than anything else, keep him the main thing about what we're doing. Remember that thing that we did just not, not a couple of weeks ago in the last series called CPR? About connecting, about power, and about resource? We need to connect with one another. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives because you can't do it alone, and you can't do it on your own. You don't have the ability, folks. We need his, his infilling in order to give us that strength. And the resource says, okay, what has he put in your hands to be able to share with other people around you? And, and, and I'm going to tell you, I know I'm speaking as the business administrator for a minute, but I'm going to tell you anyway, if you're not tithing from my perspective, you do not invite God's blessing in your life. You wonder why you're struggling with things? It's because he said, trust me. Make a declaration with every part of your life and make sure. It doesn't matter what you make. It doesn't matter the size of our paycheck. God says, I'm going to put something in your hands. It's the resources in order to help those around you. That's what it's about. It's keeping the main thing the main thing. The next 15 verses I'm not even going to get into because it's really talking about the second coming of Christ. And I will tell you, Scripture gives us real indi clear indication in Isaiah and Daniel and even Jesus and, and told us in, in some of the Gospels, as well as in Revelation. We see all about, he tells us specifically what's going to happen at Jesus' second coming, meaning the soles of his feet are going to set foot on earth, all right? And he's very clear. When you see a peace treaty that happens with Israel, it's the beginning of that. When he also says halfway through it, you're going to see an Antichrist rise up and put himself on the seated place of the Holy of Holies. It's called the abomination of desolation. There's only one problem with that right now. There's no temple. However, what you don't know is that in 2006, there's an organization called the Temple Institute that formed once again that's been doing a study. They actually have right now every single piece, every single tool that it would take to go back to redo all of the sacrifices that the Jews did for many years in the Old Testament. They've also gone through and done a study of all of the descendants of the tribe of Aaron, and they have found those that are statistics, statistics, I can't even say it, are just key from the tribe of Levi. How's that? They want to make sure that they get the natural blood lineage so that when the temple gets rebuilt, they have blueprints for the, for the uh, rebuilding of the temple. And quite frankly, it's probably going to sit on that 37 acres that's there. Now, we don't see it right now, but Daniel tells us all about it. But then Jesus goes on, and, and here's where it gets a little confusing sometimes for people, and we pick it up at verse 30, and it says, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds in heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heavens to the other. Now, it sounds like what he's saying, because he intersperses what's happening with the second coming and what we have been termed, what's been called the rapture of the church, the pulling out. 
The word rapture is not found in the Bible. And I've heard people say, well, then, you know, it's not going to happen. The church is going to be around for a while. But let me tell you, Jesus gives the fourth watch out. His little GPS comes up and it says, watch out. Jesus' return is imminent because of this verse right here. He, that word then comes from a Greek word which basically means at a time. It has nothing to do with saying, okay, it ties into the previous section of Scripture. And you can study it. You can find this out. That word appear means to shed light, to actually shine a bright light on. If we were to say that tree right there and we were to just shine a light on it, we would actually, it would appear, but it stays right there. And if the light goes off, it seems like it's not there, but it's still there. It appears. That's really what he's saying. Then the Son of Man will appear in the clouds. We know from Acts in chapter 1, when Jesus ascended up, the two that came along, the angels that were looking around saying, why are you guys standing up looking like this? The way he left, he's going to come back. We know from Scripture that he tells us that he will ascend in the clouds in the air, and there will be a loud trumpet, and he's going to call the elect from the four corners. Now, that word coming here comes from a word, and I'm not even going to begin to pronounce it in the Greek. You can look it up. Blue Letter Bible will tell you all about it. It comes from the word coming, which means to pull from one spot to where they're at. That's what that means. It means to bring it in to right where he's at. So what he's saying is the Son of Man will appear in the clouds and will pull his elect from where they are to right where he is. That's what we call the rapture. However, we don't know when it's going to happen. We do know when the second coming is going to take place, when we see things unfold. So it seems like it's contradictory. It's not contradictory at all. In fact, it's really quite exciting because as you really look at it, what he's telling us is that we need to be prepared at all times. In fact, he gives us an example. He says, Jesus says, it was as in the day of Noah when everything's going on like normal. Now, Noah was given an order, you remember this, to build an ark. A what? An ark. They hadn't heard of an ark. It's going to rain. In fact, it's going to flood. They hadn't seen rain. They don't even know what rain was. What did Noah do? He went on with his life. It took him 100 years to build the ark, and he built it the way God wanted him to. Do you know what he did in the midst of it? He had one, two, three kids, which means he went on with life. But he was prepared at any given moment when God would tell him, when it was time, and nobody knew. The Bible says that the people at that time thought the man was loony until the day it rained, and then suddenly it changed. You know, you've seen the movie, right? <laughs> you know how that goes. Nevertheless, he's telling us that as it was in the day of Noah, it will be the same with the coming of the Son of Man. At a day when you don't think it's going to happen, it's going to happen. We see here in verse 39, it says, This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two, women, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the handmill. One will be taken and the other left. That word taken is that same as that coming. It's pull out and going with him. So what is Jesus really saying to us? What does it boil down? He says this, Keep watch and be ready. Keep watch and be ready. And then going on from there, he says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day that the Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time in the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and he would not have left his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the son of man will come in an hour. You don't expect him. Sounds like I'm driving down the freeway, right? And I'm going like crazy. 85, 90 miles an hour, and I get this, watch out, police report of the head. I'm living my life like the way I want. And all of a sudden, watch out, Jesus is coming soon. Oh, I better get into church. I better get my act together. It's not that at all. We just need to continue. Because you know what's going to happen? 
We know that Jesus is returning, and we know that one of these generations, it's going to happen. Why shouldn't it be us? Wouldn't it be cool if that happened today? Wouldn't it be cool if it happened right now? Because you'd like me to be done. Okay? I got just a couple more minor things to hear, and that is I just want to highlight for you what Jesus is telling us is you need to remain in your sacred spot. Where is that? You need to find out what you were designed to do, what you were created to do, what you've been gifted to do, and you need to be doing that. Most people I have found in the church that complain are frustrated and disillusioned, deceived and frustrated. They're not doing anything. They don't know where they belong, and all they do is sit. And frankly, we can't do that. He didn't call us to ever. Retirement is not in the Bible. We've got to keep moving. We've got to keep serving. And how do you know what that is? Well, if you haven't been in my shape class, I'll have another one in 41 days. It'll happen on January 24th. We're doing it in the form of a seminar, and I'll help you discover what your spiritual gifted shape is, what your born identity is based on Scripture. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that if you haven't already. You'll see that. So here's the dilemma. We feel like, okay, are we going to be taken up, or are we got to wait for his second coming? What happens? Well, understand this. One of them is for the church. The other one is with the church. The rapture is for the church. He tells us to be ready at any given moment that we will be caught up to be with him. That's what that word taken means, brought to or toward. That word with and coming in that word that he says coming is another Greek word that basically is like the coming of if we had a royal dignitary that was coming to visit us, somebody in high prestigious power, by their showing up here, that is what's referred to as the second coming. When Jesus himself comes back, that one's the second coming. I heard it said recently, my wife said I wouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it. I heard it said recently that nobody ever beat up the bride before the honeymoon. If you think about it, are we going to just be caught up with him to suddenly come right back? I don't think so. But you know what? It doesn't matter. The timing doesn't matter of the rapture or the second coming. What matters is Jesus. And we've got to keep our eyes on him no matter what. The most dangerous lie that's out there today is not there is no God or there is no hell. The most dangerous lie that Satan is using today is we're not in a hurry. Take your time because you'll be found missing out. So I'm telling you, what do we do about this? Well, first and foremost, I want to challenge you. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, today's the day. You need to. It's as simple as asking him to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins. And he tells us he's willing to forgive and forget and to move on. That's first and foremost. And how do you know that you're saved? I love this one. Romans 8.16 tells us that we know that we're saved because his spirit bears witness with ours. Because you can't tell somebody else. You can't convince them. But when your spirit knows that you're right with God, you know. And if you're even questioning right now, it's not about, it, it, it's great to be able to come into an altar call. And I think it's important. But I want to challenge you this morning in the fact that because Jesus' return is eminent, I want to challenge you for the fact that make sure that you're right with him. The second part of this, is I just want to recap. Basically, Jesus said, it's not what we worship, it's who. Keep him the main thing. Not only at Christmas time, that video that we played that showed that he was coming as a baby, 
You could replay that once again and look at it because he's coming again as a man. And he's going to take his church to be with him. And he's got plans that will so blow our mind that we won't even begin to fathom. And I don't know about you, but I'm getting excited. It would be cool if it came at a Christmas time. So he gives us four watch out. Watch out, there's idols ahead. Watch out, there's deception reported ahead. Watch out, we've got danger. And then watch out. Jesus' return is absolutely eminent. So you have now reached your final destination. Good and faithful servant. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your word. I want to thank you for sending your son, Jesus. And Jesus, I truly want to thank you for the very fact that you spoken in this sermon called the Olivet Discourse, that you basically spoke to all your disciples, including us today, in the fact that you prophesied that the temple would be torn down and that you would reside within us personally. You also prophesied that you're coming again, that you're going to catch the church up to be with you, but that there's a plan for the end times because you care so deeply about the Jewish people. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you give us the power with which to be able to connect with others and to be able to do exactly what you've called us to do. And so, Lord, I pray that as we go our separate ways, that your anointing would rest upon us, that you would help us as we would interact with one another, that we would continue to be the church, not go to church. And we thank you, Lord, that we want to be found faithful, that that day that each of us has the opportunity to stand before you, we'll know that you look at us squarely in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I thank you for the very fact that we are able to preach your word. Let it fall upon our ears that we may hear it. May it change our lives. May it give us direction, I pray. And I thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.